Remember that at the church at Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul had good success in preaching, and yet he was followed by some very angry Jews who wanted to persecute him and drive him out. The people at Thessalonica ran interference for him, protected Paul and Silas, and sent them on quietly to Berea, keeping them safe. In verse 10 of chapter 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into a Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea by Silas, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and after Receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Father in heaven, we ask for your blessing upon the reading of this word. We know that we will not be able to look at all of it, but help us see some help to understand what it means to be a noble believer in Christ. Teach us this morning. Convict us, correct us, and help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you may have known or have heard of, or perhaps even been a member of, one congregation or another that was known as Berean Bible Church or Berean Baptist Church. I have not looked real closely, but there might even be a Berean Presbyterian Church or Berean Methodist Church. There is something about this name from Scripture, and this is the only place it's mentioned, that seems to invoke a feeling of honor. We want to be just like the Bereans. The Bible says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now, I don't think that Luke was criticizing the faithful believers in Thessalonica. I think he was criticizing the Jews who did not believe, who were angry and following Paul and Silas, trying to run them out of town. But when he talks about them as more noble, the word there comes from directly in the text, Eugenesteroi, the base word is eugenis. It is the word we get eugenics from, but in the Greek, it literally means one of noble birth or one of royal birth. So that's what Luke is using to describe these people, and there are reasons they are described as such. Luke says he qualifies his statement, calling them noble, in the, by, by saying that they did certain things that made them stand out in comparison to others. 
could we be like the Berean church? What makes any congregation look like nobility to anyone else? According to this text, and this does not give anything comprehensive, but according to this text, there are three things we need to see. Why did he call them noble? First, they received the word with eagerness. We're going to look at that. Next, they investigated the word daily. We will look at that briefly. And third, they investigated the word with purpose. Well, there are a lot of things in Scripture we can find that teaches us about, may I use the words, our noble birth. Because in Christ we are born of the Son of God. So we need to remind ourselves that we have a great deal of hope and promise and even comfort in knowing that. We do not deserve to be born this way. I am a wretched sinner, except by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in him only that I can trust and hope, not in myself, but because of his promise, I am considered in the eyes of his Father, who is judge of all the world, I am of noble birth. And if you trust in him too, you are as well. So if we are to understand this fully, then we need to understand something. There's going to be a sign. There's going to be a, there's evidence in your life that teaches you exactly what it looks like to recognize that. According to the scripture, it says they received the word of God with, depending on your translation, all eagerness or with great eagerness. That word that is used in the Greek for eagerness meant readiness. They were ready to receive it. They were, they, it's like someone comes to you and says, are you ready to do this? Well, wait till I finish doing it. No, they were ready. Come on, give me. When you are hungry and you're ready to eat, you don't want to wait. You want to be fed right away. I remember growing up, coming in hungry from being outside and asking mom for something to eat, and she very often had it right there. If you ever go out to eat to a restaurant, particularly if it's a nice restaurant, one that you expect a quality meal from, you get quite upset if they make you wait an unreasonable time of time. You're ready to eat. You're looking forward to it. You're excited about it. I've been waiting 45 minutes. I've been waiting an hour. Okay, let's go. We want to be ready to receive the word. That kind of hunger, that kind of readiness, that kind of eagerness should be part of your attitude when you come on Sunday morning. It should be attitude, your attitude during the day. I want, I want to get into my word daily. I will, I'm hungry to know something that God will say to me, speak to me, teach me in my Bible every day. They 
They received the word with eagerness. What Paul and Silas were teaching and preaching to them, they received it. And they did it daily. So do you want to be a noble Christian? Luke described that as a sign of nobility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, our Lord said. Do you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God's word, for the righteousness of his truth? You're all very familiar with the Psalms. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my pant, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We see in this the longing of the psalmist desiring to know him. Again, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Again, our Lord in Luke's gospel, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. If you come with an attitude, well, I don't really need anything today, you're going to go, you're not going to be fed. If you come to the Lord in his word, hungry to know, you will be fed. They received the word with eagerness. They investigated the word daily, or they examined the word daily. The Bible says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The word for examining was in the Greek, anakrino. Krino is a word for judgment. Ana is beside. Beside judgment. They put things side by side. The comparative scripture. Scripture to scripture. Teaching to scripture. They wanted to know, was what Paul was teaching or telling them coordinated with scripture? Or was it a lie? They investigated, examined, inquired, they scrutinized, they sifted. We don't always do that when we look at Scripture. But we are admonished in the Bible to study, to approve ourselves workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, dividing. There's that word crino again, judging the word examining the word, investigating the word. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he delights day and night. They received the word with eagerness, they investigated the word daily, And they investigated the word with a purpose. They wanted to know the truth. They had an understanding of the scripture they had. 
the Old Testament. They heard the words and teachings of Paul and Silas, and they wanted, they wanted to know, does what they're teaching us measure up? That was their purpose. Is Paul telling truth, or is he telling falsehood? You have the same challenge. You are admonished by these scriptures and other scriptures. You are admonished to do the same thing. Is your pastor, is your preacher telling the truth? There are a lot of people who name Christ who do not do that. They look for a preacher that makes them happy. They look for a preacher that looks good, that sounds good, that's exciting, that lifts them up, that encourages them. There are a lot of preachers on Sunday mornings who do nothing more than give a motivational speech. They don't bring scripture. You are challenged by scripture. To hunger for the word enough that you yourself study it, read it for a purpose, to understand it, to keep your own pastor honest. You're allowed to ask questions. You're allowed to challenge anything I say. I am human. I do make mistakes often. However, I have not yet made any in 2022. So we come to the Lord most holy to worship him each and every Sunday morning. And you are allowed to come to the Lord most holy on your own to worship him just a few moments of every day with your own Bible to read and study of him. May I remind you a few things May I remind you who God is? When Nadab and Abihu brought a strange fire before the Lord, the Lord struck them down, dead. Two sons of the priests of Aaron who were training, getting ready to be priests in his stead. Once he retired, God killed them because they brought strange fire to the sanctuary. Excuse me, Leviticus 10, 10, chapter 3, Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all people I must be glorified. So God is the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Glorious One, whom we all should understand and bow down before. And I could camp out all day right there, but I won't. But that's just a reminder of who God is. And let me remind you of who you are and who I am. 
In the terms of C.S. Lewis, we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was the father of all mankind, and Adam is also the father of all sinners. So you and I are sinful creatures. We are born that way. And because of that condition of being born in sin, we are born condemned to die. And the only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. And that's why I need to remind you what Christ has done. Again, in Romans 5, at verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass, or the free gift of Christ is not like the sin of Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace, and that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. By trusting in what Christ has done, we have freedom from the bondage of our sin. We have freedom from the guilt of our sin. We have freedom from the condemnation of our sin. And that's wonderful news. That's great news. That's overwhelmingly merciful news. But the tragedy that a lot of people don't realize they go through or they bring upon themselves is they think that's enough. It's enough for your salvation. But it's not enough to reveal your noble birth. And it is required of you to live as children of God. Something is required of you. First Peter chapter 1, the Bible says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds for action. Study the Word of God. Examine it daily. Hunger for it. Eagerly. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here, Peter is quoting the words of Moses from Leviticus 10. And this is for the New Testament believer. The Apostle Paul also said in Romans 13, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.
So we are reminded of God's holiness, that he demands, requires perfection. We are reminded that we are sinners far from that perfect standard and in no way able to reach it. And yet it is given to us freely. It is bestowed upon us. The royal robes of noble birth are, are what we find in the clothing Christ provides for us. So we are admonished in Scripture to live for him, glorify his name, as though we were of noble birth. If someone is of noble birth, you would expect them to be loyal. Noble birth usually has some connection to royalty or someone who is crowned. So if there is nobility, then there is loyalty to the crown. There is an allegiance. There is faithfulness to the king. And you would think that someone of noble birth would know and understand the law of the kingdom with which they live. Scripture illustrates the church as the bride of Christ. And we understand that. We also understand marriage is designed and ordained by God and it is meant to teach us about the relationship of Christ and his bride. Whenever we fall in love and intend to get married, it's exciting. It was for me. I know it was for you. And as young people so energized by that romance and that love and that passion, you start talking to one another, let's not keep any secrets. I want to know everything about you. And you begin sharing. You share family history. You share family memories. You share experiences together. You get to know one another. And it becomes a daily life, a lifelong joy and gladness, usually, at least it should, right? And some people often entertain thoughts imagining that their marriage will continue on into eternity, that I've only been married to one person. Would it be a husband or wife? And when the husband or wife passes away, there is the family grieves and mourns as they should. But then when the surviving spouse finally passes away, it gives the family comfort all there together again. I understand the feeling. I understand the thought. But we need to be careful. There are some in who claim to be in the Christian camp today 
who say that evangelical Christians are guilty of making marriage an idol. And these are people who think that it's okay to be gay and Christian. That's for another day. But has, has the church made marriage an idol? I thought long about this, and I think that perhaps in one point, maybe we have. Maybe we have. If you've spent a lifetime together with a husband or a wife, and that love has been blessed, and you have children and grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, if that love has been blessed and you know of no other life other than that, And you cannot imagine eternity without them. I'm going to say this carefully. I, I just perhaps you've made an idol of your marriage. Hear me out for a moment. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He should be your first love forever. He is the one. He is the first face you should long to see on the other side of death. No matter who you've loved here on this earth and in this lifetime and have gone on before you, he should be your first love. If he knows when every sparrow falls, then he has enough time to spend with you forever. If he can name the stars and places them all in their courses, he can spend undivided time with you forever. Because he is God. You need to grow up and understand that. I remember I lost my dad in 1978. Mom survived him by 23 years. And there were some at the funeral who said, well, Harold and Grace are together again. I understand what they mean. And, and it was helpful and, and comforting for me to hear that. But if my dad was allowed to meet mother on the other side of the shore, I'm almost convinced he said, Grace, come with me. I want to show you the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And he takes her to the throne of Christ. There is the lover of our soul. He is the one who died for you. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as we are known. When we first fall in love, we want to know one another so very well. Christ already knows you. 
completely. And he invites you through his word to know him. And even now, in this lifetime, it, what we learn of him, the truths we find there are just a dim view of what we will see one day face to face. Come to receive the word with eagerness. Be hungry for it. Investigate it daily and investigate it with a purpose. Find out what's true. And live by it. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth and its power. And we ask this morning that you might speak to us and help us live for you. May we feed upon your word May it nourish our hearts, may it instruct our minds, may it enhance our wisdom, that we may glorify you as times get difficult and trying, as you begin to refine your church, may we come to shine as we trust your word. We pray this. In the name of our Lord and Savior, amen.